Hello and welcome to the second episode of Pint Glass Gaming. I'm Gary. As always, here with me is Daniel. Hello. Last week, we were talking a little bit about the PS1 classic Resident Evil. Now, in the last week, I bought the Resident Evil Humble Bundle on Steam, which gave me Resident Evil 0, 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, and 7, as well as both revelations for a paltry $30. That is some value right there. I absolutely love it. I was playing the Resident Evil remake because we had been talking at length about how much better it was. And I came across a bit of a philosophical conundrum, Daniel, and I'd love to hear your opinion about it. Oh, really? I was playing through, and at one point you meet one of your former teammates, Richard. He's been bitten by a giant snake, and he's dying. He's been poisoned, and he begs you to go and get him some serum. But on the way, I will admit I dilly-dallied a little bit, and I burnt some zombies so they didn't come back. And by the time I got back to Richard, he was stone dead. I don't like leaving things unfinished, so I loaded from my last save, and I went back, and I saved Richard. Now, I give him the serum, and not very long thereafter, Richard gets eaten alive by a giant snake. And now, Daniel, I ask you, being that we are omniscient players of video games, is it the moral thing to do to let Richard die of the poison quickly and relatively painlessly, or is it the moral thing to save him knowing that he's about to get devoured by a giant snake? Um, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. And I get... No, I'm sorry. To add insult to this injury, the achievement, at least on Steam, for saving Richard is delaying the inevitable. Wow. Certainly, uh, certainly hammers that home. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do, Daniel? Well... I think in a situation like that, yes, you as the player know what's going to happen. But does the character, Jill Valentine herself, know what's going to happen? No. Obviously not. Yeah. So think of it from her perspective. She would have no idea that he would just be eaten, you know, and you turned into snake poop barely, barely minutes after, after he got saved. In her eyes, just letting him die does seem like a bit of a dick move. So I think we can separate this. For Jill, the moral imperative there is obviously to get him the serum, but... Yes. What about me? It's always about me. Well, yeah, (laughs) sometimes I forget you're a selfish bastard, but... uh, Man, you know, although, in that case, do you get anything good for saving him? You get the assault shotgun, which, you know, it's worth the price of admission alone. Then save him. You're a selfish bastard. Saving him provides more benefit to you in the long run because you get the assault shotgun. So it always bothers me. Like, why can't I search his corpse when he dies from the poison? We all know that Resident Evil characters keep weapons in their pants. Because Jill is an idiot and probably thinks the poison is spread via skin contact or something. I don't know. <laughs> or, so, or, the, or the even simpler explanation, the original Resident Evil just wasn't very well written. <laughs> no, fair enough. So this is a point that we'd love to hear some feedback from our listeners. So let us know, what would you do in this situation? Moving on, besides our game of the week, what else have you been playing? 
Uh, well, let's see. Uh, aside from aside from daily uh, treatments for my uh, Destiny Two addiction, I, I have a problem. Please, please help for the love of God. They just really there are great. programs. I know, I know, but 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 the reprise of King's Fall just released, and it's it's so cool and fun, and oh God, what's wrong with me? Um, anyway, uh, another game I've been playing a lot is a sports game called uh, Descenders, which is. Do you remember the um, not Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, but um, uh, what was it? Dave Mira's Pro BMX. Yes. Yes. Um, it's basically that with, of all things, light roguelike characteristics. It is is basically a um, a downhill uh, mountain biking arcade style game. Uh, you go through you go through a map. Uh, and each um and each stage on this map is actually procedurally generated, so no two courses are the same. Go through, do stunts, do tricks. If you complete that a challenge on that particular stage, you get an extra life, and so on and so forth. And the key is to get through all stages without losing all your lives. And that sounds like a great idea. My only complaint is all of the downhill levels in the Tony Hawk series were far and away my least favorite levels in the game. And if I remember correctly, they made an entire game out of the downhill jam levels. Uh, I would never buy that. I mean, it's I think it makes more sense for bikes because, when, you know, I think when we're, when we're when we're playing the skateboard games, that's all about grinding on rails and going through and going through trick courses and especially half pipes. Like the, the half pipe and vertical parts were my favorite, but how much of that do you Same. really do on a bicycle? It feels more natural to do the, uh, to do like a, a downhill course. And, and, and it's not, and it's not just simply go straight downhill. Some of them are like, they have, they have, uh, they have difficulty settings. Like each, uh, each one has a random difficulty in terms of steepness, curviness and, um, and stunts, you know, or obstacles. So you could have one that's kind of, you know, that's kind of shallow in its incline, but has a lot of curves and obstacles. You could have one that's just almost a straight, you know, downhill race. So it, it changes up with each stage you play through. As I said, it's procedurally generated. And I think the I think it works better for bicycles because it feels more natural to do a, um, a like a downhill stunt course on a bike as opposed to a skateboard where if I'm playing a skateboard game, I want to get on the high half pipe as fast as I can. I never did any of the street stuff. I was 100% vert in the Tony Hawk games. Yeah, 100%. and there are and there are verticals and half pipes in Descenders, but they're kind of rare and they feel a bit wonky. It's uh, yeah, it's definitely not a perfect game. There are oftentimes it feels like you bail and lose a life when you really should have landed something. There's uh, there is a little bit of a little bit of clunkiness in terms of its uh in terms of its move set. But on the whole, uh, it has been fun enough for me to sink over 100 hours into it at this point. Yep, nice. 157 hours so far. Excellent. What about you? For f starters, I beat the original Splatterhouse on TurboGrafx-16 this week. I don't know what even inspired me to play it. I just picked up, uh, I have my TurboGrafx-16 with an EverDrive, and I was just scrolling through the games, and... I have gotten to the last boss, and because I refuse to abuse save states, I've never been able to beat them, but I, I got over the hump. I got over the hump this weekend. Highly I mean, recommend that game. We'll probably talk about it someday. I mean, it's not surprising considering you have almost every game console under the sun at this point, so it's pretty easy for you to be like, 
I'm going to pick a random game to play on a random console. And there you go. There are a few more that I need, but in due time, in due time, they're the really obscure ones at this point. And I'm also once again replaying the greatest game ever made, in my opinion. Oh, what would that be for you? Castlevania Symphony of the Night? That's actually number two. Oh, damn it. What is a man, Daniel? A miserable little pile of secrets? A bitch. Oh, okay, fair enough. Persona 5. I, uh, right, right, right. I could play that game all day, every day. Now, I platinumed Persona 5 Royal on my first playthrough, to tell you the truth. I amazed myself. That was during quarantine and COVID. And I haven't platinumed Vanilla 5 yet, so I'm going ahead and doing that. Believe it, well, if you count the total between Royal and Vanilla Persona 5, I've only spent 240 hours playing that game. That's it. So only 10 straight days of my life playing yeah. Persona 5. Only, only 10 straight days of Persona 5. Just, just yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's light compared to other people. Come on. The, there's basically only, I can't get one of the waifus because she's only, she's a royal exclusive character and I've never done the courtship with her. But I basically only have like two characters left that I haven't done the romance storyline with yet. And uh, having a little difficulty picking which one because quite frankly i'm not fond of either i mean i've um i started playing persona 5 royal uh recently and for someone who does not like jrpgs in general it's good will i like it better than persona 4 golden which completely upended my expectations of jrpgs i'm not sure i'm not sure yet i'm only about six hours in so we'll see we are, at some point, I'm going to have to drag Daniel. We're going to do a Persona podcast. It's the 25th anniversary of the series this year. Uh, don't get me started on what Atlas has done for the 25th anniversary. They, they really overhyped it. It's been shit. I'm very disappointed. Really? But at, oh, my God, don't. First off, all right, you, you started me. It's, it's too late now. Now we're going with it. Brace yourselves, everyone. Here we go. Right. They announced this vinyl set, and I have a, a pretty good record collection. I love listening to vinyls. Daniel, how much would you pay for a set of vinyls that are basically the soundtracks of the Persona series? What do you think is a reasonable amount for that? The entire series, one through five. Yes. And how many, how many discs in total is that? I believe it's four. It might be five. Really? Only five vinyls? Damn. Yeah. Um, that's a toughie. $60? He said $60. You want to know how much Atlas wants for that? 200. How much they want? $400 fucking dollars. $400 for five vinyls. Atlas, we have, we have eight listeners, and I know you're not one of them, but you can sit on that. You can shove that right up your ass. I, I I mean I might have said a hundred dollars, but holy shit! And, no, and you know what? Better yet, Atlas can shove it up their ass, and any moron who bought it, who like justified this decision for the company, you are an idiot. This is my it is bar none my favorite video game series far and away. The soundtracks for every game are pretty awesome, and I I will not buy it. Nope, nope. This guy, there has to be a line that we draw, and anyone who bought that, you stepped over the line. You're over the line, Donnie. 
Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, holy shit, you were right. Four hundred fucking dollars. Wait, wait, wait. There are not many things that make my jaw hit the floor, and when the price for that dropped, I was incredulous. The, oh, it's insane. Okay, okay. Wait a minute. I'm, I just looked it up. It is not five vinyl discs. It is fifteen discs. Even so, that's a fucking video game soundtrack. Four hundred dollars. No way. I, I mean, look. I, I, yes, I get it. Four hundred. That's that that that's a lot. That is quite a bit. But it does say eight and a half hours of music on fifteen vinyl discs. Fifteen, not three, four, or five. That is slightly more understandable. Yes, four hundred is pretty, still pretty high. Still I pretty stand high by for my that. statements. But like, and considering, I, I don't even know what the cost of pressing vinyl these days is. So. I, I could understand that. I've paid I, I've paid a hundred dollars for a special edition four disc vinyl of one of my favorite albums. Okay, then if we're gonna if we're gonna compromise, at least let me buy the disc I want. Like I would just spend the money on whatever three, four, and five are. That's what I want. Did you ever play one and two? Yes. Well, the thing is. And we're going on a bit of a tangent here, everyone. Sorry, I love Persona. The Persona one that we got. Revelations Persona. A whole bunch of game content was cut. The translation is awful. They turned a character who was uh, just a basic guy, just one of your friends, and made him... They changed his ethnicity, and they made him a racial caricature. It's it's an oh, interesting play. That's pretty it, tacky. So the, the only real option I think that anyone in the NTSC region has is to play the PSP version, but it's prohibitively expensive at this point. Hopefully, you know, you can probably buy it on the PlayStation Store, but Persona well, 1, and it's rough, too. That's a game that has not aged well. I'll tell you off the bat, it's skunky. That's unfortunate. Although, you know, looking it up, the uh, the prices for them individually, you're going you're gonna to flip. When lo looking at it, looking at it right now, Persona 5 original soundtrack vinyl box set, four LPs. Can you guess the price? 200 $240. Yeah, shove it. Fuck them, man. Fuck them. Like, you know, I would buy it, too. And I, I listen to it on my way to work a lot. The Persona 5 soundtrack is phenomenal. But no, it's not happening. And I think if I even entertained the notion of buying it, I'd be on I'd be sleeping on the couch right now. Oh, might as well get I, comfy. Alternatively, fans can pick up Persona 3, Persona 4 or Persona 5 individually for a hundred dollars each. No. <laughs> so so you you could get the three four and five it would just be three hundred dollars thank god for that what a deal what a deal so let's talk about a little uh gaming news while we're at it thq just had an event announcing some new games and a new south park video game was teased at the end of this event daniel oh. have you ever played the stick of truth or the fractured but whole love saying that name and once again that's another game. That's another game series that completely upends my biases against turn-based combat in games, because they actually do it the way I like it. In Stick of Truth had the whole action command thing, where it's not just you pr you you press an option for an attack and it happens. That you actually have to like do like button commands in time with the attack to actually make it more effective. A la Paper Mario. Played, have you ever played Legend of Dragoon, Daniel? I think I played it for like 10 minutes at your old house, like one time. 
I remember it vaguely. Might want to give it a look, just saying. I I might. I certainly might once I get my original PlayStation uh, back up and connected. The, the creators of South Park, Matt and Trey, I, they can basically get away with anything at this point. There's no subject that they have shied away from. These games have some ridiculous moments. I remember th- there's one part in the Stick of Truth where you're shrank to miniature size and you have to go through your parents' bed th- bedroom and they start getting it on. And not just like, we're not talking making love here, folks. This is straight up fucking. Yeah, this is uh, some straight up two hogs going at it sort of thing. <laughs> Back in my old house, I had plans for a man cave up in the attic, but it was not insulated at all. So I basically had to play all my video games on the couch. I remember my wife sitting on the other side of the couch, reading a book, looking up from her glasses like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And there were a couple times where there was an action like quick time event sort of thing where you actively had to dodge flying boobs and balls. So, yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Although if it was in the if you played the uh, the PAL version in the EU, they actually had to censor it to actually get a rating in the EU. So they actually, instead of those quick time events, they put up a sign of like, you know, uh, I think of some statue with its, you know, face palming and a message saying, you know, the Europeans are a bunch of pansies, so we can't show you this here or something like that. Like I said, they can get away with anything at this point. Yep. Those are two games that you guys really, really have to check out, especially if you're into the brand of humor, the unique brand of humor, I should say, of South Park. So I'm definitely going to check out whatever this game ends up being. I'm definitely going to be playing it. Oh, absolutely. Another interesting piece of news. So we just did an entire episode on what we really consider to be the grandmother of all survival horror. But THQ just announced that they're going to be remaking the grandfather of all survival horror by remaking the original Alone in the Dark. I hope they keep those old graphics at the frame rate of what 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 was it? It was like 30 minutes per frame. <laughs> the original Alone in the Dark I own for the 3DO. It's basically unplayable. I don't know how we put up with it back in the day to tell you the truth. What's interesting about this remake is Resident Evil ba- borrowed heavily from the first Alone in the Dark. That they took everything from the fixed camera angles to the control scheme. And they, well, they made it better, to be honest. Now, what's interesting about this is Alone in the Dark is basically borrowing from Resident Evil 4, which I don't think anyone will say is a mistake. If you're going to borrow from a game, it might as well be that one. Yeah, absolutely. Though there is also a difference between between completely just like aping a game and actively improving upon it. Because as you said, Alone in the Dark, the original is basically unplayable. If they can if someone like copies it but actually like makes it playable and enjoyable to play, what can you really do at that point? It's it's a game I'm definitely going to check out. I don't think it's going to be a pre-order for me, but we'll see. I, I don't pre-order anything anymore on, you know, on just to get, get just just to put that out there as well. For I'm okay. trying to stop doing it. It's I have a pre-order problem. And I'll be the first to admit it because I've been burned. 
Uh, yeah, well, then maybe instead of pre-ordering, you should contact me first and being like, hey, I'm thinking about pre-ordering so I can drive, literally drive down to where you are and smack you and be like, no, don't do okay. it. If, if we have a moment, can I tell you about the worst pre-order experience, I think, in the history of gaming? I, I mean, you're kind of obligated to do that now. Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver. So this was during the PlayStation 1 era. It was released for the Dreamcast as well, but I was pre-ordering the PlayStation version. Now, I pre-order this because, you know, when I got good grades, I was allowed to get a game. First off, I loved Blood Omen Legacy of Kane. Awesome storyline. A dark kind of Zelda. That's what uh, Blood Omen was. And so the sequel's coming out, and I'm super excited. So I pre-order it at Toys R Us. I'll let you know that that game was delayed for almost a year. So I got my good grades, I worked hard, and what did I have to show for it? Absolutely nothing. Yep. I'm, st I'm still mad about it. And the game came out, and I loved everything except the ending. Cliffhangers never do well with me. But almost a year I waited for that game. So that sort of tradition has continued. I'm getting burned on my pre-orders. Like, uh, here's a game that I just pre-ordered, Soul Hackers 2. I love my Atlas games. This game is boring as shit. Everything looks the same. I shouldn't have done it. Daniel, next time I'm calling you. <sighs> you See, I have a... De okay, all right. I'll, I'll admit it. The only thing I pre-order is the Destiny 2 expansions. The new one, Lightfall, got announced last week. And, yep, I pre-ordered that because I, uh, I have an addiction. Maybe I'm not really one to talk there, but... Other than that, I have I have not pre-ordered a game in years. Literal years. Only, and this is just how I'm going to wean myself off the pre-orders, I am only going to pre-order the sure bets. So uh, I, I'm not embarrassed to say this, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, I've got the double pack pre-ordered. I know I'm going to be getting the nearly ex the same experience I've been getting since I had a Game Boy, but I know it's I'm going to enjoy it. That that's a surefire thing. When the next Persona game comes out, I'm gonna get that too. It's only the sure bets from now on. I'm not giving people my money when it's not deserved. I think gamers over the past several years have had a lot to be mad about when it comes to disappointing games. And I'll put this out there: if you're still pre-ordering Madden and FIFA, just cut that shit out. Stop. You're embarrassing yourself. Oh well, yeah, but that's obvious, and especially Madden, especially Madden. There hasn't been a quality Madden title, in my opinion, since they stopped competing with like 2K. Oh yeah, because it's fucking Electronic Arts, and they don't give a fuck as long as people are still buying it. Challenge everything. With that, all that said, we actually have a game that we were going to discuss this week, ladies and gentlemen. Today we are going to be talking about the N64 classic, Banjo Kazooie. Why don't we hit that theme song? Game Overview and Facts Banjo-Kazooie was released on the 29th of June, 1998 for the Nintendo 64. It was developed by esteemed developer Rare and published by Nintendo. It was a single-player platform game that sort of codified the uh, the tropes and ideas of what we know as the collectathon. 
in this day and age where a cartoon char- cartoonish character in third person will platform around a bevy of varied worlds and collect a bunch of items to use to unlock other worlds. They'll, they might possibly unlock extra abilities, extra moves, extra helpers, and so on and so forth. Banjo-Kazooie was originally released for the N64, but it's also available now on Xbox Arcade, on your Xbox 360s and Xbox One consoles, and it can be downloaded on Xbox Game Pass on your Xbox Series console. Metacritic scores for the initial release in the N64 were a 92 from critics and a 9.1 user score, which means the initial release pretty much had universal praise. The re-releases on the Xbox platforms did not fare so well. They got a 77 score amongst critics and a slightly more respectable 8.3 user score. So, Daniel, what is your history with this game? I think this was one of the... This was one of those games that was an, a mainstay on our N64. God, well, it was it was this, Mario Kart, Star Wars, Rogue Squadron, and Gold. You're Goldeneye. forgetting a big one. There Goldeneye. it is. Yeah, well, I mean, but th- th- that's like, that's kind of an obvious one, so. Now, we're going to do a GoldenEye episode because we have to, and yeah. you're going to hear this complaint from me, viewers. There was no point in playing multiplayer against Daniel. Daniel knew the spawns, <laughs> and Daniel was, I don't remember you ever losing except once to me with one hit kills slaps only. And that's because I'm a lucky fuck. Yes. Well, <laughs> and, and, and before anyone says anything, no, I never, ever used odd job. Never. I played I did. Trevelyan every time. I used Natalia and odd job. Yeah. And because Natalia, still... Natalia annoyed me enough that I didn't care that I kept getting her killed. And you still lost with odd job. Yeah, I was not very good at this game. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm vertically challenged. Odd job is vertically challenged. It worked. That's all I'm saying. Now, I never owned Banjo-Kazooie. I didn't have an N64 until much, much later in the console's life. And I actually got it after the funeral of a family member. So, hooray. That's a bit bittersweet, I guess. Yeah. I uh, was not really into this genre of collectathons with the exception of Conker's Bad Fur Day, but that's just because it's got that twisted sense of humor that you knew I was going to go for, hook, line, and sinker. Oh, hell yes. So I have attempted to play through this game several times, sometimes on the N64 because I borrowed your copy of it, Daniel, Uh, and more recently on my EverDrive, and I've also tried it just so I could get some trophies on xbox live but i have never beaten it and i have given up well before the end well that's unfortunate so if you would daniel why don't we talk a little bit about the storyline storyline it's a fairly simple and straightforward storyline in this world a region called spiral mountain there's a witch named gruntilda who believes she is the most beautiful thing in the world um no, no, <coughs> no, definitely not. Uh, My standards are getting much lower as I get older. She could get it. Uh, I don't know about that. But anyway, uh, his um, any port in a storm. My co-host's particular kinks aside, she finds out from one of her cronies that there is a more beautiful woman in the world. 
Tootie, a brown bear living with her brother Banjo, and his, uh, quote, friend, the bird Kazooie. Was there ever any... Was there ever any confirmation that they were just friends or romantically involved? Well, no, funny you should mention that. Now, the developers of Rare in a recent interview have confirmed. Drumroll, please. Now, I'm sure you're thinking that I'm going to say that uh, Banjo and Kazooie are married, that they're having... You know, nice family gatherings around the table. But no, uh, what Rare has said is that they're banging. That's it. Wait, really? Yep. In a recent interview, the director of Banjo-Kazooie has said that they are getting it on. Where? Did what you... are the logistics? Where, where, where did you find this information? The internet is a strange, wonderful place, Daniel. Because the only place I can find that actually says that is a website called Nerfwire. And that's a satire site. The internet might have been leading you astray, my friend. I will get the minutes for this interview, and you will see. All right? Okay. How do you think she gets those giant eggs out? Because Banjo's been stretching it out. Don't worry about it. I mean, once again, my co-host's weird proclivities aside, Gruntilda finding out that this, that this, uh, that this uh, woman, Tootie, is more beautiful than her. Kidnaps I've heard her. this story before. You know, it, there might there might be an analog. To, there might be an analog to some old classic fairy tale or something. But um, yeah, after she's kidnapped, Banjo and Kazooie are alerted to this, and the two set out from their house to rescue her. Along the way, they must collect musical notes, magic jigsaw pieces called jiggies, and use those to unlock the doors and paintings within Gruntilda's lair to ascend it and finally defeat her. And at the end, well, near the end, after they defeat Gruntilda and rescue Tootie, Tootie is not satisfied and wants to see her dead. Well, I mean, not dead, but, you know, she, she wants her brother and her um, friend to kick her ass. So you can continue on after you rescue Tootie to actually go to the final boss and actual true ending where you do kick her ass and leave her crushed under a boulder. Banjo-Kazooie, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, everyone. Round of applause, please. Clap, clap. So now that we've spoken about the storyline, it's time to move on to the meat and potatoes of any game. It's time for gameplay. Mmm, potatoes. Gameplay. All right, Daniel, I'll take it here. So you have your anthropomorphized bear that you play as, obviously named Banjo. Kazooie lives in his backpack, and she's basically relegated to your special move. You, you have double jumps. You can fly. You can do something called the talon trot. And you can, quote-unquote, throw eggs out of either your mouth or your backside. Right, there's a skippable tutorial in the beginning, but it's not really skippable, because if you don't do it, you don't get a full extra piece of life. Now, these pieces of life, going with our bear theme, are denoted by little honeycomb pieces. The genre of this game is called a collectathon. Now, the reason for this is that there are many different items to collect, including musical notes, little colorful slave people called Jinjos, jigsaw pieces to get into new levels, and more. You're basically going out on missions to find items. Daniel, what are your impressions on the gameplay? 
Uh, well, you know, I have to say, I remember this being better than it felt like playing it nowadays, which is a massive disappointment in my uh, in my estimation. The platforming is it feels a bit it feels a lot slower and somehow slipperier than something like uh, Super Mario 64, which is the problem here because Super Mario 64 was a great platformer. It felt good. It felt fluid. There was there was so much you could do with the moves in that game. Whereas in Banjo Kazooie, you feel slow. You feel everything feels kind of slippery. Everything feels a bit unresponsive. And the special moves, you know, that utilize Kazooie are pretty much the only thing to use. Like Banjo has some token attacks that he can use, but they're basically useless. It's kind of weird how Banjo is basically just the ballast for Kazooie's abilities. Because they might as well have called this Kazooie with a bear, you know, with a bear brick attached to her. It felt very, it was very disappointing. All the, all the special moves felt a bit underwhelming nowadays. Like you can fly, you can bounce on pads. I started to feel the um, the progenitor or the um, or the the seeds of the of the really bad ability bloat in uh, in the infamous Donkey Kong 64. And holy God, like if you want a game that is literally just collect every single thing you could possibly think of to find and uh, and accrue the most useless abilities you could ever imagine. Yeah, that's Donkey Kong 64. Five different characters, each of them with their own bananas to collect, like each of them with like 50 different abilities, each of them with their own weapon. Okay, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. The point is, Donkey Kong 64 is terrible, and I can already feel that bad game design starting to creep in, you know, with the with, with the 2020 well, view of hindsight here. L- let me ask you this. How long had it been since you last played this game? When's it's, the last time you played Banjo Kazooie? It's probably been a good twenty years, I have to say. Because I, I will admit that I, that I'm surprised to hear you say it, because I know how much you and your brothers appreciated this game. Now, this when we were picking what games we were going to talk about, my heart kind of sank a little when this one came up. Because to be totally truthful, I have never liked this game oh. ever. Uh, I've had problems with the camera. I've had problems with the gameplay in that. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Hopping enemies are almost impossible to hit. The, the hit detection is ludicrously bad. I think that there's a lot of lazy game design choices here. Basically, every level after the third level, Bubble Gloop Swamp, has some sort of floors lava type mechanic. There's no animation for it. It's just... Oh, hey, I'm in a swamp. If I touch the water, a piranha bites me. Oh, hey, I'm in the desert. There are sandworms that hit me. Oh, hey, I'm in lava. It's lazy. I don't like it. When you die, for example, now you go around these levels and you're collecting notes. Most stages, I think all of them actually, have 100 notes. And you have to collect all of them because you need them to proceed to further areas in the hub world. When you die, your note count resets to zero. Oh, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I always wondered why they did that. Like, yeah, if, if, if you leave that particular area, 
yeah, you um, and you go back in the the notes you collected are still there, but yeah, they 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 just they kind of just track what your uh, what your high score is, I guess, for collecting those notes in that particular level. Which I, I mean, was it a like like was it a game like was it was it a game limitation? I don't know. It couldn't be because the sequel didn't do that or maybe you could say oh it was an early game they didn't know how to do it but it seems to be a gameplay choice because it was remedied later and it was a bad one bad choices abound in this game i find it frustrating i think that the difficulty controlling the camera is an issue which kind of is part and parcel for this generation of games though the cameras sucked we were making up how to control 3D games as we went along, but Nintendo got it right with Mario 64. Yeah, and even then, even then with Mario 64, it was um, it was it was uh, it was operating kind of with one hand behind its back because of the. I know it's iconic, but let's be honest: the N64 controller, not a good controller, not very well thought out. Three handles on it, and only one. Uh, yeah. And only one joystick, only one analog. on top of its initial design, which was not good to begin with. These controllers don't age well. I've got four of them here right now, and one of them's useful because the joystick, there's no lubrication on it. When you use it, it's a plastic on plastic kind of thing, and they just grind themselves to death. And if you try and buy a, a remade one now from a third party they are terrible the n64 is going to be a very very difficult platform to play in the next 20 years because all of the controllers are going to fail because they weren't designed to last and then what are you going to do i yeah you're right you're right but um as i was saying it was this was way before the this is way before we codified the idea that the left control stick moves the character and the right control stick moves the camera but even then Super Mario 64 got it, got it, what got it really close to perfect. Like the, uh, the, the, the C buttons were just, were just good enough to control the camera enough to make it enjoyable. Banjo Kazooie, it, it, it felt so weird in comparison. It just, it, 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 for some reason, the camera just was not as functional. Maybe it was the movement. Maybe it was, it was, uh, it was um, the movement as well. Because, as I said, the movement, it felt like you were a brick just sort of slowly sliding on butter most often when just running around as banjo. When you're moving the camera as well, there seems to be a limit to how far you can go in each direction. So instead of being able to move the camera full 360 degrees around the character, which is what should be possible, it gets stuck. And it's frustrating as hell, especially when you're trying to navigate a very, very narrow ledge. And some of those trick jigsaw pieces that you need to get in a certain amount of time makes it much more difficult than it has to be. That was, if that was we what can, to Yeah, no, it, I hate that. The sound design, I know that with modern sensibilities, we're kind of spoiled when it comes to voice acting. You know, Resident Evil notwithstanding. The choice to make everyone do a nonsense syllable as they talk... You know what? Let's just do the rest of the podcast like that. I'll put up some captions. I'll just do that. It's kind of funny at first, but it becomes very grating later on. And there's other sound things that are awful too. 
the Talon Trot, for example. Now, Rare in their infinite wisdom made Banjo move relatively slowly, but Kazooie, when she does the Talon Trot, is almost twice as fast as Banjo. The only problem is, is every time you use it, you have to hear this sound. <laughs> oh, that... Yeah, for the couple hours I played, you know, I played through again, just a quick, um, you know, a quick playthrough for the for the show. That sound is now permanently burned into my frontal lobe. Oh, God. Well, this was my reaction after hearing it for another hour as I played through. Shut so if I never have to hear the talent trot again, probably be too soon. So, yeah, overall, things just did not feel as good as they as I thought they were back in the day. If I could add another nitpick, the hub world. What's your opinions on Grunty's lair? I mean, it's it, it's colorful. Like it, it, it's kind it was kind of fun to, you know, run around and try and look for the secrets around in it. But uh, where are you going with this? In terms of it being colorful. It's colorful in the way that some bowel movements are. The N64 color palette has a lot of browns, greens, yellows. It looked like poop. Another thing, I, I found Grunty's Lair to be poorly designed, confusing. I hate that you press a switch somewhere and you're not necessarily even sure where the hell you just opened something up. I thought the level design was relatively mediocre. Now, you have a bunch of levels. You've got Mumbo's Mountain, Treasure Trove Cove, Clanker's Cavern, Bubble Gloop Swamp. Now, Bubble Gloop Swamp is the level that nine times out of ten I gave up playing this game on. I hate that level. Then you have Freeze Easy Peak, which actually wasn't that bad. So I finally got through Bubble Gloop Swap, and I thought, yeah, no, nah, maybe it's all uphill from here. And then I got to Gobi's Valley, the Egyptian-themed level. It's segmented. You can see where you want to go, but you can't get to it. I thought it was entirely frustrating. And uh, truth be told, I gave up right before going into Mad Monster Mansion. So I still have not played through one, two, three levels and the final battle. Ah, oh, you didn't get to the best part where Mumbo Jumbo, the guy who helps you and does tra and does transformations for you over the game, turns you into a pumpkin. Come on. Why? Because pumpkin. I, man, man, I don't know. It was the N64 times. Banjo-Kazooie. Complete inbox right now. If you want to order it on eBay, it's worth $75. Is that because it's a common game that sold 2 million copies? Maybe. Or... Is it because no one wants to play it? I... <laughs> I'm sure there are people who still love it and will still love it if they play it these days, but I have to admit, I am not one of these people. I think that the most likable character in the entire game is Grunty's henchman. I think he's the source of the most humor. I think they wanted Kazooie to be funny, but she's not. She's just obnoxious. She starts fights. She's like the guest on Mori that's going, just wait till my man hears about this. And poor Banjo has to clean up the mess. <laughs> just just imagine her now saying, I know she be seducing my man with her chicken tetrazzini. Chicken tetrazzini. Final verdict, skunky or fresh. So, Daniel, I guess the time has come. This was a game that was once your friend, but it's time to pass judgment. Skunky yes. or fresh. I think everyone out here uh, will not be surprised by this. 
I'm saying this one has gone skunky. Ladies and gentlemen, there's another philosophical question. The second we're going to be asking you in today's episode. Can something have gone skunky if it was never fresh to begin with? Hey, come on. Come on. I got enjoyment from it when I was a kid. It's got to count for something at least. Uh, You know what? It does. I am glad that this gave you joy back in its time. Now, what I will say is this. The N64 release got a very, very high score. Contemporary reviews were really good, but the re-releases did not fare so well. And that's not because they didn't capture the spirit of the game. They handle exactly the same. The graphics are updated. The reason that the remakes or the remasters did not do well is because the games have not aged well at all. We have come so far in game design, in gameplay, that Banjo-Kazooie has unfortunately not been able to keep up. So for those of you who enjoyed this game, it's no knock against you. Daniel himself could tell you that there were some very, very good memories with this game, but I would not play it in 2022. So that there it is, folks, our final verdict. Banjo-Kazooie has gone skunky. R.I.P. So, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for listening. But before we go, it's time to pick our next game on air. So we're going to go through a list of 10 games that Daniel and I have chosen. We'd like our listeners to maybe suggest some games in the future, but we'll work our way up to that. We'll earn that. Right now, out of the games in our hat, it's time to select. And episode three will consist of the Super Nintendo classic, Super Castlevania Four. Oh, here we go. Finally, one of my picks. Guys, we really look forward to bringing that game to you. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Please don't forget that you can always catch us on Instagram and on YouTube at Pint Glass Productions. I'm still working on that CDI episode, Daniel. Where is it? Where, where, where episode? Where episode? So guys, I apologize. I am not going to lie to anyone. I haven't worked on it at all in the last week. Life has gotten in the way, but I'm almost halfway done. I really think everyone's going to enjoy it. And I'd also like to announce that we are going to have another episode of Pint Glass Travels that I'm going to bring to you from Paris, France and other areas of France. And that's going to be coming out in mid-October. And in early November, I'm going to be doing a very short episode of Pint Glass Travels where we travel to Fort Worth slash Dallas, Texas. Please stay tuned for all these episodes. We thank you for listening tonight. Please tell all your friends.